Get your Bibles out to Matthew 26, and I'm going I'm to jump on the, uh, the speeding train and race ahead here in a hurry. Matthew 26. Have you enjoyed the series so far on shame? Has it been? It's kind of funny when I say, "Have you enjoyed the series on sin?" You know, um, I don't mean enjoy it like I like it, but are you applying what you're learning? Is it making sense? Is it helping you get free? Because um, we're really trying to be wise master builders and move us forward. And we told you that shame is the great relationship killer, but how you know Jesus is the great shame killer? And uh, and I want to share some principles today. From this message, Jesus, the, the shame killer from Matthew 26. Let me give you a little background. You can follow on the screen or you can get your Bibles out there. Open up to Matthew 26. Um, but Jesus gathered the 12 together for a Passover meal. We call that meal the Lord's Supper. Um, and at the conclusion of that meal, they sang a hymn. And the Bible says, and they made their way to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus uh, knows he's going to be betrayed that night. He's going to be handed over to uh, the guards and, and the whole process of his trial and crucifixion is going to happen. And Jesus shares some pretty startling news in verse 31. He says, tonight, all of you will desert me. Now, how many of you know if you just had this intimate meal with Jesus, the Lord's Supper, and, uh, and he washes the disciples' feet. And I mean, all you guys know all that happened right there. It was an inc- incredibly intimate time. And on the way to the, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus turns to all of you, me and all of you, his, his disciples, and he says, every one of you will desert me tonight. That'd be kind of shocking news. He didn't stop there, but in Peter's mind, he stopped there. Because look at what happens next. Jesus says in verse 32, after I've been raised from the dead, I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee and I'm going to meet you there. Listen to what Jesus just said. After I'm raised from the dead. How many of you know dead people do not have a habit of raising? So the fact that Christ is telling them, after I raise from the dead, that should have been the focus of that discussion. But how many of you know we're selfish by nature? And, and so the focus in Peter's heart and in the, and then in the other 11 disciples' heart, the focus was, you're going to desert me. And let me just tell you how I know Peter responded. He was ticked off at Jesus and he got offended. Let me tell you why I know he got offended, because he didn't hear anything about the resurrection. That should have been the whole point of the discussion, was the resurrection. It should have been a moment of joy, or at least a mixture, but Peter's ticked off. And can I just tell you something? If, if you get offended at Jesus, Jesus could be your pastor, and this is what you would you tell Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to leave the church, because um, I just can't seem to get nothing out of your messages. Now, people, by the way, say this to pastors all the time, but let me tell you why you're not getting anything out of the message, because you got offended by your pastor. And your pastor can go and tell you about the resurrection, but you didn't hear anything about it because you picked up an offense, and now you, listen, the moment you're offended, you stop learning and you stop receiving. And, uh, And you start dying. You start spiritually dying. So listen, today's my day. You all celebrated. I should have ran up here and done one of these numbers for you. All right. I'm feeling the love. Can I just say something? Y'all need to hear this. I will never get in that pulpit if I am offended by somebody in this room. Because I can't minister to you when I'm offended by you. So you never have to wonder, is pastor mad at me? I am loving you with the love of the Lord, and if it's anything different, I promise you, I'll sit down with you, we'll have a chat. So everybody in this room needs to know, this morning, just in case anybody was doubting, I love you. I'm for you. I'm committed to you. 
I'm cheering you on. I'm committed to your success. If anything changes, let me know. I'll let you know. We'll, we'll, but we can't live offended because if you live offended, you'll stop receiving and you'll die. So Peter's offended. He didn't. He, after you're going to deny me, Peter's ticked off. Because Peter, by the way, uh, he found his identity and his boldness and his zeal for God. In fact, look at what it says in verse 33. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Now let me show you how arrogant and insulting this comment was. Who's he hanging with? The disciples. So let me just, let me just show you. I'm Peter. Jesus, even if all these low-life cowards around me deny you, I will never deny you. Peter's got, a, Peter's got a problem, doesn't he? Jesus replied, I tell you, Peter, here's the truth. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times, or you deny three times that you even know me. Look what Peter says to God. No! <laughs> it's not a good start when you're, <laughs> when, when, you're, when you're having a conversation with God. Not a good beginning. No, God, <laughs> what do you think you know? All right, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. That's a bold statement, isn't it? And look at it, it says all the other disciples vowed the same. So the night goes on, let's fast forward the tape. Jesus is taken to the home of the high priest Caiaphas and, and Peter and John follow along behind. The Bible tells us Peter remains out in the courtyard and this is what John writes in his gospel. It says, because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. Everybody say charcoal. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. A charcoal fire. It's an important little minor detail. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. So there's Peter standing with the enemy, warming himself by the fire. And, uh, and that night, by the fire, Peter denies Jesus three times, just like Jesus said that he would. In fact, let's go to Luke's gospel. Here's Luke's account of what happened at the fire, Luke 22. It says, after the third denial left Peter's mouth, look at this, at that very moment, the Lord turned and looked to Peter. Peter, you know, again, remember the one time came with the little servant girl, says, aren't you one of his? And, and it says that, that Peter went on this tirade, um, vowing, you know, swearing, that he did not know Christ and that he was not one of his followers. At that very moment, Peter and Jesus catch eyes. Can you imagine what was going on in Peter's heart? When all of a sudden you're looking into the eyes of a man who knows everything about you and who has exposed everything about you before it happened, and now you absolutely lived out everything he said. Suddenly, it says, the Lord's words flash through Peter's mind before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. You will deny me three times, or deny three times that you even know me. And then here's where shame comes in. Look at verse 62. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. How many of you know at that moment when he made eye contact? Now, I want you to hear this. I don't believe Jesus was looking at him with shame-filled eyes. I believe Jesus was looking at him with the same love and the same care that he's always looked at Peter with. But at that moment, the devil pounced on the opportunity to turn that moment into the most shameful moment of Peter's existence. And Peter left weeping bitterly, uncontrollably. He knew he was guilty. 
And the result of it was he was covered in shame. So shame has entered the relationship. But here's the good news. I want to encourage you with this this morning. Jesus is the shame killer. Jesus is the shame killer. I want to go back to the promise. Um, Jesus said this earlier. Remember this? He said, after I've been raised from the dead, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and we'll meet you there. Now, again, they didn't hear any of this because they were offended. But Jesus said, I'm going to raise from the dead. And then, hey, guys, later, I'll meet up with you in Galilee. Like, imagine if he said, hey, I'll catch up to you in Crown Point and we'll, catch, and, and we'll get together. Again, they didn't hear any of it because they were offended. But notice, notice the word from Jesus Going to meet, go ahead of you to Galilee. Now turn to John 21. We're going to stay here the rest of our time. I'm just trying to lay some foundation for you. John chapter 21. Jesus is a master surgeon in helping us get set free from the shame that's trying to destroy us. We've been teaching in this series that shame has a dissolving effect on our thinking. If you're full of shame, your thoughts will be clouded. You're not going to be able to think straight. Uh, you're going to be emotionally confused. Uh, you're you're going to be struggling because of the, the dis, uh, disillusion of your mind and your brain as it relates to dealing and processing with shame. If I have shame in my relationship with Mark, then it's going to create a barrier. It's gonna, it works to dissolve it. Whatever connections we have will be dissolved. Same thing in the church. If the church is full of shame, then our relationships with each other and with God are going to suffer this dissolving effect. And so Jesus wants to go in and probe the nature of shame and set us all free. Now look at what it says beginning in John 21 verse 1. Later Jesus appeared to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. Isn't that what Jesus said in the other passage? Where was he going to catch up to them? Galilee. Well, guess what? Now he's risen from the dead. He goes to Galilee. Except the disciples haven't figured out this is exactly what Jesus prophesied. This is how it happened, John writes. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. The disciples said, we'll go, we'll go with you. So they all got their fishing gear and they headed out to the boat. Notice it says they went out uh, in the boat and they caught nothing all night. Now, let me paraphrase. When Simon says, I'm going fishing, this is what he said. I'm done. Forget this Jesus stuff. Forget this church stuff. I tried it. Let me tell you, there are so many people not in church this morning because they tried it. And what that means is they tried to do all the Christian stuff. They tried to come. They tried to sing. They tried to read their Bible. But listen, you don't primarily enter into a relationship with God through doing all those things. You have to encounter Jesus and you have to let Jesus heal your heart. It's not, it's not about, like, I tried it. No, you don't try Jesus. You encounter Jesus. Jesus is not like a drug. You have to be encountered by Christ. But once you've been encountered by Christ, everything changes. And it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to have some failure along the way. It doesn't mean you're not going to slide back into sin. It doesn't mean he expects perfection from you instantly because you're growing. But so many, the, the devil uses the opportunity to, to get in our brains and to just beat us up. Say, well, Mark, if you're, oh, you sinned this week. And here's what, I should be farther along than this. I've known the Lord since I was this old. Why am I still struggling with this sin? I'm a loser. I'm going to give up on the church and all this Jesus stuff. Here's the good news. Jesus will never give up on you. And Jesus will go after the shame that seeks to separate you from his heart. Because he's about you. He's after you. But Peter says, I'm done with this religious stuff. I'm done with this fisher of men stuff. 
And, and I want you to notice this. Whenever you're dealing with pain and shame, you will always, first of all, isolate yourself. Why is it that the devil tells people, oh, you can't go to church, man. The roof will split right open. Lightning will come in if I go. I heard people joke around like this all the time. No, that's demonic babble going off in your head. Here's the truth. The reason that you say that is because the shame and the guilt that keeps you isolated from a holy God. Now, you, don't, you won't explain it that way, and you might not even have that revelation, but that's the truth. It's shame that keeps you from God and shame that keeps you from other people. And here's what you'll do. You're going to go back to the area where you feel most emotionally comfortable and physically competent. Let me give you an insight. If you're having married trouble, all right, and you wonder why your husband works as many doubles as he can, let me tell you why. Because he feels shame and he feels like a loser at home because the marriage relationship's not working well. And you know what? He'll take every double, triple, quadruple possible because when he's at work, he feels competent and he feels like he has what it takes. So if you're a wife that nags and whines and, and complains and just your husband can't do anything right in your eyes and you wonder why he's not there, let me just tell you why. Because he's filled with shame. And because he feels like he can't do anything well or anything right around you, and so he will avoid you at all costs. And then what does that minister to you? Rejection, shame, and it's a vicious cycle that goes around and around and around and around. Because listen, nobody wants to be put in an, in an environment where they feel incompetent, where they feel like they don't have what it takes, where they feel like emotionally that they're threatened, uh, and they feel, uh, again, shame because of the whole thing going on, right? So, so Peter's like, Forget this Jesus stuff. I'm going fishing. And let me just tell you something else. Peter's idea of his fishing ability was much greater than it looks like it actually was because on a number of occasions, Peter fished all night with the rest of the boys and caught nothing. So sometimes we'll even tell ourselves lies to stay in a place of shame. Like we'll tell ourselves, well, I'm going to go back and do what I do good. I can fish good. Every time Jesus was with Peter, he's like, hey, how'd you guys you catch anything? But Peter's going, he's the man, he's going to go fish. He's going to go be the man. He's going to go do what, he, what he's comfortable doing. So he quit. Basically, he just quit. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And let me just say this too. Sometimes we beat up on Peter. You know, like, like look at Peter. You know, I'll, I'll die for you. But what did the other guys do after Peter said that? They affirmed the same thing. When Peter says, forget this Jesus stuff, I'm going fishing. What did the rest of them do? Went fishing. So can I just tell you something? I think Jesus took delight in the strength of Peter's immature leadership. In other words, can I, God, God sees in you the treasure he placed there. And he's more convinced and committed to bringing you into maturity than you are in believing that he can. And so he's good, he's, he loves the fact that Peter's always putting his foot in his mouth because Peter's not a rebellious child. He's just, he's just immature and stupid. Have any of you ever been there before? I'm celebrating 60 years of immature and stupid today, all right? 60 years. I'm an expert at it. So I get to teach you. Now here's what I want you to see. Peter's quit. He's done. Some of you in this room have mentally 
quit. You believe your damaged goods and that God really can't use you and that because of your past or because of your present, you're beyond the reach of God's redeeming power and God could never do something amazing or tell a beautiful story through your life. I know you're sitting out there. There's bunches of you. You're just like Peter. Now you're here today, but, but let me warn you. I'm glad that you're here today. But here's what you never want to do. You never want to be here going through the motions, faking it. I'd rather have you go sit at the bar. Seriously, Pastor? Yeah, because you know what? I'd rather have you be, know that you're lost than be a Pharisee in training. The Pharisee in training just keeps going through the motions. But on the inside, you're still, you're still addicted. You're still broken. You're still full of shame. But you showed up. That's dangerous. You need to quit that. Don't quit on God. Quit being a phony in church. And go after an encounter with God that changes you. Believe God's pursuing you. And, I, and here's what I want you to see. I got to hit this quick. The precision with which Jesus goes after Peter's shame. See, this is why the prophetic is so important because what it says is intimacy. Do you think if you're that guy living under the bridge, do you think you're ever going to question God's love for you? When God changes the channel and a pastor starts prophesying to you under a bridge after you just cried out, I need help. That's why the man is following Jesus. What's your story? What's your encounter with Jesus? What's your act of surrender? What's your personal story? We all need one. Let me show you how beautiful this. Notice the timing of Jesus' surgery. It says in verse 4, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. Why dawn? Well, when did the denial take place? Remember what the sign was? The, 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 the rooster crowing? Cock-a-doodle-doo. I was just in Central America. That's the Central American alarm clock, all right? There was a rooster that greeted us as we headed out the, the hotel to go to get our flight. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. You know, it brought back memories of other Central American trips I was at. So why does Jesus show up at dawn? Because he's going after the root of Peter's shame. And that sin occurred just before the rooster crowed at dawn. Look at the next thing. Notice the training. I love this. It says, he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? Now, that's an unfortunate translation, that word fellows, all right? It actually means this, and you need to hear this. This is powerful. It means a child who is still immature and under the care of somebody older and more responsible. Here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, kids. Hey, children. Catch any fish? How many of you know by this time they know who's talking? But I want you, why does, why does Jesus call them little kids? Here's what I think you need to hear. I already alluded to it. There's a difference between being in rebellion and being immature. I don't think Peter was in rebellion. I, I feel with Peter. I feel Peter saying, God, you know, Jesus, I will never, ever deny you. I will die with you. How many of you in your heart of hearts, you, you would make that comment in your heart of hearts? Anybody in here love Jesus besides me? I, I can see myself at that moment saying, no, I'm with you. I'll be with you to the very end. And then you fail. Now let me ask you this question. When you fail, is it because you're a rebel? Was Jesus saying, 
Jesus, I'll never follow you again. I'm so mad at you that you, you prophesied this and it came true. I'm mad at you. I'm going to live a life of open rebellion. That's not what he's saying. What he, what's going on here is, is Peter is experiencing growing pains. Some of you have let the devil beat your brains out because you're still not where you want to be. You're still struggling with certain things and you let the devil beat your brains out because what he tells you is, oh, you're being rebellious and you'll never get free and you'll never amount to anything. And what God's saying is, will you lighten up? You're just a kid. Can I tell you that? I'm serious as a heart attack. I'm a 60-year-old kid in the Lord today. Now, hopefully I'm not, I'm not I've learned some things and I'm, I'm not the young version of Peter. Now, I've eaten a lot of leather in my mouth. I put, I put a lot of shoes in my mouth, just like Peter's put a lot of shoes in his mouth. I've said things out of zeal that sometimes weren't wise. How about you? I thought I was farther along at times than I actually was until I fell on my face. And then God showed me, oh, maybe he didn't condemn me. That's what the devil does. The Lord just allows you to see where you really are. So you don't fall into the other sin, which is pride and thinking you're the man or you're the woman, right? So sometimes God lets us see that we're not quite what we thought we were, but it's never to beat us up. It's always to grow us up. That's what's important. So he calls them little kids. I love that. And then he says this. (laughs) Talk about deja vu. Hey, guys, throw your net out on the right side of the boat. (laughs) Now, any of you that have fished know that whether you drop your line here or whether you drop your line here is not going to make any difference unless you're God. Throw your net out on the right. I can just hear the guys in the boat at this point hopefully cracking up because they're like, we know who that is. We're having a deja vu moment. We're having a Groundhog Day experience right here. The Bible says they caught so many fish they couldn't bring them all in. The hall was so great. And I want to take you back because, okay, why is Jesus doing this? This is a second time this has happened. Why is he doing this? Well, you got to go back to the first time because remember, Jesus is trying to set Peter's free. If you go back to the first time, you guys hanging with me here? We doing good? Go back to Luke chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. This is the first time this thing happened. Jesus said, hey, you guys have been fishing all night. Peter said, I haven't caught nothing. And Jesus said to them uh, in verse 8, when Peter realized, I'm sorry, then Jesus told him, throw the net out the other side. They caught a supernatural catch of fish. So Peter is in his boat, probably knee deep, thigh deep in fish. And look at what it says in Luke 5, verse 8. When Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, oh, Lord, please forgive me. I am such a sinful man. Now think about this. Jesus just blessed them with a massive financial blessing because they were all fishermen. And Peter's response is, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Now what's the connection there? Because Peter knew what was going on in his heart. When Jesus talks about, oh, you guys catch anything? Throw the, throw the net out on the other side. Peter's probably going, are you kidding me? Dude, stay with your teaching ministry. I'm the fisherman. The advice you're given is just silly. But he probably was smart enough at that point not to say anything. But I'm sure it's going off in his heart. And then when he obeys, he realizes this is not just some normal dude in the neighborhood. This is God in my boat. And his reaction is immediately distance and, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. But look what happened next. This is powerful. Look at verse 9. 
he was awestruck by the number of fish that he had caught, as were the others with him, his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus said this to Simon. Now listen, this is why Jesus is recreating this event, because look at what happened earlier. Don't be afraid, Jesus said to Simon. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Why is Jesus recreating this moment? Because it was Peter's call. It was the original call. It was when Peter got, got ashore and he left everything and he followed Jesus. This is the moment Jesus is recreating. Peter knows exactly the last time that happened. He knows what Jesus did. He knows the encounter that he had with God. And this is Peter who's just quit. Peter without back to fishing again. God knows what he's doing. Jesus is pursuing the shame in Peter's heart. Isn't this awesome? This is funny, though. A little side note. They, caught a hun- they counted them, 153 fish. The Bible tells us something. 153 fish, that's a lot of fish. But if you knew that Jesus had risen from the dead and he's on, on the shore cooking breakfast for you, and all of a sudden you realize, that's Jesus, he's alive. Don't you think all 12 would have jumped in and swam? But the Bible says Peter did. And the Bible says the rest of them took care of the fish, made sure that they brought them in. <laughs> they, they were good businessmen and good Jewish businessmen, all right? They wanted to make sure that they didn't let those fish go to waste. But Peter, I want you to see something else that's very interesting. Guys, if you're out fishing, are you putting on all your dress clothes or are you stripping down to just, you know, your swimming suit? The latter, right? The Bible says Peter, instead of jumping in the water and swimming to shore, uh, that Peter put on his cloak, put on his tunic, whatever. He got fully dressed. That doesn't make sense. I believe Peter's still trying to look as best as he can to face the one who he has betrayed and the one who has a lot of shame. And I think even subconsciously, Peter's getting dressed for the occasion because it makes no sense to clothe yourself, put on all your clothes, and jump in the water. But that's what the Bible says Peter did. A lot of cool details here. Now, let me give you another cool detail. You guys are going to love this. This is amazing. When they got there, verse 9, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a, what kind of fire? Oh, this is so good. That description and that word in the Greek is only used one other place in the whole New Testament. It's used for the fire where Peter warmed his hands. You talk about an unmistakable connection between what Jesus is trying to do in Peter's heart. I mean, check this out. It's dawn. There's a breakfast made for all the guys. When was the last time they ate together? Last supper, right before they all denied Christ. Jesus is having supper. How I mean, you know when you have supper, it's an intimate moment. You have it with friends. You cook. You get together, right? He like, we get people over. We, we eat. We have fun. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's something shared among friends. It's dawn. There's charcoal burning. Peter is getting a, a sight and sound and full sensory overload of the moment, all the moments leading up to his, his betrayal of Jesus and the shame that hit his life. Jesus is setting it up perfectly. And then after breakfast, Jesus doesn't mention anything, but after breakfast, I want you to see what Jesus does. He goes straight for the issue. And can I just encourage us in this place not to live fake lives, not to live lives full of guilt and shame. You know, 
to go after issues, to fit, confront one another. And I mean, when I say confront, I don't mean, hey, I want to confront you. No, I mean, I mean, if we know something's wrong, we sit down, we listen, we, we hear with open hearts. We want to understand. We want to gain the full story. And then we choose to repent and we choose to love each other. Jesus doesn't sweep it under the rug. Look at what Jesus does right after breakfast, right after this amazingly great time. Jesus says, hey, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, let me ask you, who are the these he's talking about? There's, there's only a couple options. What a lot of the Bible commentators say, and I think they're dead wrong, is Jesus asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than the other 11? But why in the world would Jesus be encouraging Peter to compare himself with the others when that's already Peter's problem? In fact, doesn't the Bible tell us we shouldn't, we're not supposed to compare ourselves with each other because each one of us is a unique masterpiece. We have no comparison. We're a masterpiece. So Jesus isn't saying, do you love me more than John does? Do you love me more than Mark does? That's not what he's saying. Who are the these? I'll tell you, they're the 153 fish that Peter quit, the, quit his calling for to go back and to fish. So Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me more than these? Because that was the issue. Are you going to run from me? Are you going to turn your back on the call? Are you going to go back to the old Peter? Are you going to be back to the old ways? Or do you, do you really love me more than these? And look what Peter says. We know this account. It's a good one. Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Then Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And look at Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. How many of you know at that point Jesus has probed the depth of the wound? And with each of those denials, Jesus is giving a chance for Peter to affirm. But I want you to see that love was never the issue. Immature love was an issue, but love was never the issue. Peter loved the Lord, and Jesus loved Peter. The issue was Peter's immaturity, Peter's brashness, Peter's arrogance, Peter's boldness, his pride, his unsanctified life at that point. That was the issue, not the question of whether he really loved the Lord. Of course he loved the Lord. That's why he felt the shame in the first place. But I want you to see what's happening here. He calls him by his nickname. Peter was the nickname Jesus gave him. His real name was Simon. Simon means a weak reed, like a reed that's about to break. Jesus looked at Simon, and he said, I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to call you a rock. This is incredible. Jesus giving nicknames to people. Now, who do you give nicknames to? Normally, it's people that you love, like your family, they get a nickname. Hopefully, it's a nice nickname. It's a nickname that calls forth their destiny. But how many you know when Jesus looked at Peter and calls Peter Peter, he's basically saying, I'm calling you forth in your destiny. You feel like a, a reed that's blown around to and fro, but I see you as a rock. So at the moment when Peter's dealing with shame, he says, hey, Rocky. I can just hear the background. Peter's like, coming to life. Because, you know, the nickname also was a reminder of, of how much Jesus loved him. It's a reminder of the times when he was, again, calling forth the destiny that he saw. Can I just tell you, the church is a place where we don't shame people for not being perfect because there's only been one of those. 
But how about where we give nicknames to one another that actually call forth a prophetic destiny that's inside of us? How about, we, how about the church is a place where people are, are loved to life, as we like to say, and we don't try to literally beat the hell out of them? Right. Feel, that, that is proper English, all right? I wasn't using a cuss word there. Was, <laughs> just to clarify. Sometimes we take the opposite approach, and when someone's down, we pile on. That's what the devil does. When someone's down, that's when we lift people up. And when you come to church, people should be speaking life into your destiny because they believe in you, not speaking death to you uh, because you haven't been perfect. Now, are we moving toward perfection? Yes. Pastor, are you preaching a, a message that's heavy grace, weak on sin? Of course not. We, we, wanna, we all want to be holy like Jesus. Amen? This is not a go out and sin because it's a really okay message. No. Your sin will actually keep you from intimacy with God. That's, that's a problem. So we want to deal with our sin, but we're not, going to let, we're not going to do it the devil's way. Now let me just, I'm going to end right here. When you read, you know, Peter, Peter ended up having two books in the Bible, right? Peter number one, Peter number two. They're not that not complicated, all right? For guys like us, we need it simple. Peter number one, Peter number two. If you've read through 1 Peter or 2 Peter, what's the main theme of those, of those books? Peter is writing to a church that is under suffering and persecution. And I want you to, even this week, read through 1 Peter and, uh, and listen to the tone of what Peter's sharing. What you will see is that the arrogant, foot in your mouth, Lord, I won't deny you like these other losers, all, all of that, Peter is gone. And what you hear, this is so good, what you hear is the heart of a shepherd who loves people and who feels their pain and who wants to come alongside. And I can relate to Peter because, I, like I said, I, over 60 years I've had enough foot-in-my-mouth moments, all right? And I remember, and Rose, you always help me say the amens when you remember the younger version of me. And sometimes I said things that I shouldn't have said or... I, of course, I thought I was anointed full of the Holy Ghost, but there might have been a little me in there too. Um, but can I just tell you something? I, I shared this second service. When I think of the season I'm in right now and where I've come from, I look at the goodness of God in my life. I believe at this, at this stage of my life, I'm a better lover of people. I love you. I love, this, I love the church of Jesus. I love the global church of Jesus. I love Jesus. I am more uh, of a lover now than at any season of my life. And I realize it's because the Lord has been relentless in pursuing me. And even in the hard times when, when my foot in my mouth or my what I thought was righteous zeal for God turned out to be more about me, I knew that the wound came from the Lord. And it wasn't because he was mad at me. It was because he saw Peter the rock inside of me. And he didn't quit on me. And you need to hear today, God is not quitting on you ever. Some of the wounds that you've gone through, and I'm looking at, at some people that have gone through some wounds. Life gives us wounds. But they're never meaningless wounds. They're always, as we, get, as we have a chance to have 60 years behind us, we can look back with a little bit better perspective and realize that what God was doing was bringing out the best in us, not trying to crush us or kill us. 
And I'm just grateful when I hear the change in Peter's tone. Jesus actually turned him into a really great pastor. I just want to grow into be a really great pastor. And I want to be somebody that can, when I see Peter, I want, there's hope for me. I also end with this, all right, my fourth ending. I'm trying to do better, but it's only 11 after. This is it, I promise. It's my immaturity. It's not that I don't love you. I'm just immature. I keep talking. All right. I got one more. You gave me one more? Two more. Thank you. Two more. All right. Here's the deal. Does anybody know uh, how Peter died? The Bible, the Bible doesn't tell us, but history tells us. Peter, in his later days, was forced to watch his wife be brutally mistreated and then crucified. Imagine your wife, men, being being uh, who knows what happened to her at the hands of wicked people, and then nailed to a cross. Peter, as history tells us, encouraged her the whole, through the whole time to keep her eyes on the Lord, to keep loving Christ, to realize that this pain and all that she was going through was only for a moment, and then they would be together in the presence of the Lord forever. And then Peter, remember Peter the coward? That's what the devil would like to say over Peter. The, the one who who denied Jesus in front of a little servant girl at one time. Guess who preached the message at the birth of the church in Jerusalem, the very place where Peter, with his own eyes, watched Jesus beaten beyond recognition and nailed to a cross. Guess who gets the assignment to preach the opening of the church of Jesus Christ on planet Earth, day number one sermon in in the place where Jesus died, and Peter stands up full of the Holy Spirit, preaches the gospel. 3,000 people give their life to Christ that day, and the rest is history. We now have a globe filled with billions of Christians, a gospel that's spreading all over the world. But the first sermon came from Peter, the shame-filled coward, that Jesus, now, I just got to say this. If you're God and you raised your son from the dead and he had 40 days before he ascends, what do you think's on his priority to-do list? He's only got 40 days and he's gone. Let me just tell you what would not be on my list. Go after the guy, the big mouth, who said he'd be there for me. And when I needed him the most, he ran away like a little scared girl. I'm not going after that guy. I got more important things to do. That's, a, that's, my, that's the old Ron Johnson. <laughs> you remember that guy, don't you? <laughs> that's the old me. That's why this touches me so much. Because I would say, I got no time for you people. They couldn't be there for me, couldn't stand for me, weren't there when I needed you. I got no time for you. I got more important things to do. But Jesus goes after that guy first. And it's that guy that starts the movement on planet Earth called the church. And it's that guy, when the second moment comes, he's not the same guy. When the second opportunity comes, to chicken out, he courageously watches his wife being mistreated while he encourages her, and then he says this, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Lord and Savior. Crucify me upside down. 
And he is nailed to a cross and suspended upside down. That's what the power of the shame killer Jesus can do in your life. He can turn you from a little nobody, a coward, somebody who is weak, somebody who feels like you got nothing to offer, and he turns you into an incredible man or woman of courage and conviction, and he turns you into a world changer. That's, and let me just say this. Is that just for one or two people? That's for the body of Christ. If you're a Christian, that's for you. That's for you. We all have different callings, but we're all called together, and we're all called to move the gospel forward together, all of us in this room. But you'll never do it if you're still separated from God by shame, if you still feel unworthy, if you're still beating yourself up because you're not Jesus. You'll never be Jesus. Stop it. That's why we have Jesus. But you got to get your heart healed. And so stand to your feet. I want to pray over you, and I want to make ministry available to you this morning. I feel like there's some of you that mentally have quit. You just said, you know what, I, got, I, I disqualified myself. There, there are people right here this morning, I know a bunch of you, you're like, you know what, I, I can't be, you know, I'm not going to be Pastor Rod. I might show up to church every now and then, but I'm not some pastor kind of person or whatever. That's not me. And, and in your mind, you, you already just limited yourself. You're saying, I, I, I can't do that. I, I, I can't be someone like that. I, I'm not going to call you up. I'm going to pray in general of you. But I just want you to lift your hand. I, I know there's a lot of you, and I, I, I don't have time right now all afternoon to pray for everybody individually on that. Disqualify. Come on, I know there's a bunch of you. In your mind, you're like, nah, that's not me. Amen, amen. Thanks for your honesty. Thanks for your honesty. I want to pray over you right now. Father, break the stronghold of these lies we have believed for so many years. Even this morning, the Lord says, stop it. He loves you. He's after you. His heart is for you. We break the power of deception off of your people, Lord, who have quit. The Lord says, put the net down. You're not going back to fishing. Feed my sheep. Love my people. Be a part of what I'm doing in the earth today. And if you raise your hand and you're willing to agree with me, say, yes, Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm picking up your nets. I'm, I'm going to join what you're doing. And I'm going to let you transform me into the person you've called me to be. Father, thank you for doing that. Thank you for new beginnings. Thank you for fresh starts. Thank you, Lord, for encouragers in our lives. If some of you in this room are still dealing with a a sinful area in your life that just keeps you falling on your face, God wants to heal you of that. But the key is getting rid of the shame and coming to the Lord and coming hard after God. I encourage some of you to come forward if that's you because we want to pray for you. Lord, I ask your blessing. On this house, I thank you that you're taking us from glory to glory, every one of us. I thank you, Lord, we're all going to make it. You believe in us. You're cheering us on. You love us. You paid for all of our failures so we could live with our heads lifted high. We could be full of the joy of the Lord, and we could be living lives of power and meaning and impact. So, Lord, thank you for what you showed us about your love for Peter. And I, I just remind every one of you in this room, that's his love for you. That's his love for you. Lord, let the destiny of every one of these living stones come forth. Let the destiny of every living stone come forth in Jesus' mighty name. Now, Father, we're heading out to our ministry field. We're going to rub shoulders with people all week long. I pray that you help us liberate and set people free and love people to life. Lord, thank you for this church. I thank you on this day of my birth that they celebrated me on this special occasion. And Lord, I just celebrate them. I pray you bless them, you encourage them, 
You fill their hearts with your love and your life. And Lord, may living stones, and may this gathering of your believers here, Lord, may we bring you great glory. We just pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, if you need prayer, if you don't know the Lord or whatever is going on in your life, please come on down. We'd love to pray with you, all right?